welcome to The Spawn Chunks, episode number 154 for Monday, August 16th, 2021. My name is Joel Duggan, and joining me as always is my friend Johnny, but you may know him as Pixel Riffs, fresh from Hades. Hello, yes. Uh, (laughs) This week's render distance is a gift from the gods if you've been playing Hades like Joel has. So if you're interested in hearing us talk more about the other games we play on a regular basis, you might want to check out the render distance. It's the extended version of the podcast, which you can listen to if you support us on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash thespawnchunks to sign up there and get a listen to the extended conversation. Very extended (laughs) this time, as it turns out. We've uh, really put in a, a bumper render distance for everybody this week. So what have you been up to in Minecraft this week, my friend? I have been expanding a river, which is something I think you have a bit of <laughs> a bit of experience with. Uh, and I'll echo something you said on your stream after I raided you. Boy, is reshaping a river tedious. <laughs> if you are if you're hand shaping a river in Minecraft, it gets a little bit tedious uh, in places. And I haven't even got started on the river bed yet, which I think is going to be part of this expansion because right now I'm just clearing out everything that I can with you know it, I'm, I'm doing this in a desert so luckily everything around it is pretty much instaminable it's sand and sandstone I don't need to move beacons mm. around and that kind of thing but I think I'm gonna have to set up a conduit to get at all of this stuff on the riverbed because that's where it gets into you know the stone blocks and and everything beyond that but eventually the plan is to A, connect up all of my kingdom via water because I'm now using a Riptide Trident to get around and so having water around is kind of useful. And the second point of this is to set up some barges and like a floating shop market on the river because I'm not able to get on the server as much as I'd like and there are a lot of folks who are playing more consistently on the server and especially with, you know, I'm going away on holiday uh, this next week, I will... I, I think I'm going to try and set up a couple of these just so people can stop by if I'm not online and still get some of the goods that we're we're trading, you know, like for like on the server. So if somebody wants to stop by and get 32 copper blocks for a couple of stacks of gunpowder or something like that, then that's going to be the uh, the way to do it. But yeah, I'm uh, I'm expanding a river right now. It is slow going. That yeah, it takes some time. Uh, I found. I mean, you obviously don't have this advantage on on the servers i don't think uh but we've been using the zeros minimap mod because we're running fabric on the citadel uh, uh for performance reasons we do have access to a couple of quality of life mods and when you're doing big projects like that that you really want to look nice having like this down view pixel art uh to shape a river really does help a lot uh and uh, one thing that i found that i mistakenly in my detail oriented brain got caught up with doing was um, replacing a lot of blocks on the riverbed, forgetting, of course, that we now have seagrass and just Mm -hmm. how much that covers up stuff. Uh, And so one of the things that I do tend to uh, get at is I do remove all the sand from the bottom of a river. Now, my rivers are more um, they're more uh, forest related or plains related. So the sand is going to stick out a lot more than it would in your biome. Um, but rather than just like replacing everything and, and doing all that, what I was doing was taking coarse dirt and just replacing the sand and leaving the normal dirt rather than fussing over it, even though I don't like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes, you know, here and there putting in a little bit of gravel along the banks. Like if there was a, a sandy beach on a river, which didn't make sense to me, I would just replace all the sand with gravel and not think too much about it and just kind of like let it have its variation. And I found that kind of using the Minecraft generation as a guide and not trying to create my own textures, but just replacing the stuff I didn't like with just a better block 
sped it up considerably. And then when you add in your seagrass later, you're just like, I, I don't even notice. Like I just, it's, I'm not going to be spending all this time looking at this river going, oh, look at that little piece of mushroom block that they put down there. Now I do that next to things like bridges and stuff that players are going to walk across, but I don't do it everywhere. Um, that definitely speeds it up. But, and it, it's one of those things where it's super tedious, but at the end of the day, when you have the full river shaped the way that you want it, when you get that higher up screenshot, it really, really helps. Yeah, I've been using the in-game maps to actually get a, a better top-down look at okay, things. Yeah. And and even that, you know, going back to my house and just refreshing the map every so often is giving me a, a better look at it. But the waterscaping stuff is nice because it allows me to create stuff that the Minecraft terrain generation hasn't already. Like, there are a couple of areas that I put in an island uh, where the river has kind of, like, flowed around uh, an area and and I've kind of carved through one side of it where the other side already had a river in place and so it's created this island that I'm thinking about maybe putting like a either a guard tower or a lighthouse or like a gatehouse kind of thing that you know sits in the middle of two bridges spanning the river there's so many different iterations you can get out of interesting terrain like that that in some cases you just have to create yourself because they minecraft terrain isn't just going to hand stuff like that to you and and that's the stuff that's really going to be rewarding for me is working out how it fits the infrastructure of my area and it's something i've been getting a bit of a head start with in the rtx world as well because i'm now working on a hilltop castle in the rtx world using uh lighting just to to you know display colors on all of the blank walls and that kind of stuff and i'm having a lot of fun with that still need to do a bit more work on it but i think it's coming together pretty well already i have a a section of archways that are you know like an on outdoor ish walkway like an open air walkway along one side of it but then the archways have you know colored glass with sea lanterns underneath it effectively projecting color onto the wall and then the archways if you look at it from the ground kind of split up the sections of color so it looks like there are these different colored sections of the wall when actually it all blends into one another when you're uh, actually walking through it so I, I think there's there's some really neat effects i'm starting to achieve with that and that is you know building with the terrain and the, this being the the most visible and most sizable mountain in the area it seemed like a, a natural location to to build a castle the problem with that is it's on a bedrock edition world where i haven't fought the dragon yet and so i don't have access to elytra and so getting mm. up and down from a hill that size has involved setting up some bubble columns and you know making sure that there's an easy path down once i want to get back down to the ground and look at things from a distance the other problem being if i bring a camera account into that world i can log in with a, a second uh, account from bedrock edition on a different device uh the camera is a survival player because i don't have cheats enabled in that world uh and so i have to effectively build myself into a dirt box if i want to look at something from a distance and then see what the changes i'm i'm making are doing to the whole build but yeah it's it's a learning process but i'm i'm having fun building a castle again it's been a while since i really took on a project that size so that's uh that's super fun they are remarkably rewarding because of how much Minecraft lends itself to that kind of thing. Oh, yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. It's, you know, like I, I have this curtain wall that goes around the medieval town of West Hill on the Citadel, and it's not 
a spectacular build. It's just that it's a repeatable pattern, but there's something very satisfying about finishing a big section of it and going like, yeah, that looks like a curtain wall. It makes everything feel more robust and exact, like exactly how I want. And it's not something you have to struggle over the design with very much. Cause it, again, like Minecraft just tends to have the blocks to achieve that kind of stuff. I, uh, I'm admittedly behind on your RTX series though. So when, with these lights and stuff in the castle, is it being lit as if it's like, an ancient castle in modern times that has like floodlights and stuff yes. like a touristy thing yeah, yeah yeah that's how it's going okay so that's, that's... i wasn't sure if you're using the lights as like magic or if it was meant to be more like a uh a, 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 a what's it called a heritage site you know yeah like a, a yeah that, maintained that's, heritage site that's kind of the approach i'm going for knowing you know various heritage sites around the uk that do something similar you know they'll they'll project mm-hmm. stuff onto the walls of castles for specific like special events and stuff like that so it's going to be a bit more of like a modern approach to it and just playing around with it just having like an excuse to mess with some of this stuff the architecture of it is still something that i'm doing on the fly but one thing i knew i wanted to do was put in some of this lighting and mess around with the rtx stuff so that was i I was i was thinking about that more than thinking about you know the the lore of the world and whatnot but i I think it's it's still kind of fun to uh, to mess with every once in a while uh sidebar uh i want to know what an rtx fight with the dragon is going to look like <laughs> i've done it once or twice i think i have a video about it it's um oh do you okay. yeah it, it's it's honestly not as impressive as you might think because there aren't many natural light sources in the end and so mm. I, I feel like raiding an end city feels like more of a more of an event in that sense because of course it's not really lighting entities with rtx stuff it's not lighting up mobs the same way as it is static light sources and so you know end rods were probably like the the only light source in the end that really felt like oh wow okay this is you know actually having an impact on the surroundings if you wanted to light the dragon fight arena up with your own set of colored lights and make it more atmospheric in the process of the fight or maybe afterwards when you respawn the dragon that'd be a uh, a fun approach to it so uh you know there are there are definitely options for that kind of thing but uh yeah i don't think it's the the kind of thing that is innately part of the dragon fight in a in an rtx enabled world i've been looking at um some mods and stuff that have like i say better end because that's the name of the mod not Mm. because i necessarily think it's better but um and it's a lot of like glowing mushrooms and like different light sources and stuff and it's too bad that you can't get the combination of like modded terrain minecraft and rtx like I know that there's maps and stuff like that, but it feels like RTX for Minecraft all tends to be very vanilla based. Yeah, yeah, it really is. I, I I think the other thing about the end as an environment for that is that there isn't a great deal of terrain height going on. There's, I mean, there's a lot of depth to it, but there's less like when you're running around on the surface, there aren't really hills and mountains in the same way there are mm, in the overworld true. or like the cavern kind of space that you find underground or in the nether. And so... I think in the end you really have to start building some stuff for it to take effect. There needs to be some verticality because a lot of it is just working with the way light naturally travels and if you are, you know, if you just put a torch out in the middle of a field, you know, it's not really going to do a whole lot <laughs> because, you know, it it doesn't have anything to reflect the light off whereas in the overworld you can create much more dramatic effects because there are so many other blocks around and terrain and you know the the screenshots i've shared before of like lava on one side of a mountain lighting up the clouds and stuff like that you you get those effects in the overworld whereas i think with the uh, with the end you get less opportunity to do that until they change the landscape of the end which i'm hoping they will in future it's not really going to have much of an effect on anything you don't build yourself um that's fair 
Speaking of uh, changes to the landscape, though, the the last thing I did this week, one of the uh, the, the things I had the opportunity to do was uh, streaming 90 minutes of the Experimental Snapshot 3, which came out, which we're going to be talking about in the news this week. Uh, I was playing in hardcore. I'd done a side-by-side -side comparison video from uh, this and Experimental Snapshot 2 uh, again, and we just decided to boot it up on stream because people are interested in seeing more of it. And I managed to gather some resources on the surface, uh, go caving, went to the bottom of the world, found a really nice dripstone cave, actually, and a, a lush cave a little bit further in. Uh, we gathered enough diamonds for a diamond pickaxe and a full diamond block, and then threw the diamond block into lava at the end of the stream. But um, I will say that I'm I'm getting used to the, the vibe of caving in the experimental snapshots at least and and what will probably eventually be the full caves and cliffs update part two and food is still the toughest challenge i think when it comes to caving obviously finding the right cave entrance and making sure you don't end up with like a hundred foot drop as your first entrance to the underground is a yeah. challenge but i find that once you are there if you haven't prepared for that if you are basically rushing to get to that point you find yourself running out of food very fast so if anybody is trying more permanent worlds uh, at the point when you're listening to this, whether it's an experimental snapshot three or in the distant future, I do think preparing with bringing some crops and dirt with you so that you can at least kill a few skeletons and farm some potatoes, or if it's, you know, just harvesting as much rotten flesh as possible and trying to survive on that. I think food is an aspect of the underground that I think still needs a little bit of attention in future not in this update but maybe in a in a future update having some source of food that would be more accessible and better than glowberries i'd like to see them maybe you know change some of the rules around fishing to make sure you could fish in these cave pools and stuff like that but I, i've really not found a great source of food down there if you didn't bring it with you in the first place yeah you'd have to like stock up in a bunch of eggs or something to make yourself a chicken farm if you're going to go <laughs> and then, if you're going to set up a cave base or something like that down below it'd be better to just try and bring you know it's like noah's ark you know bring two of everything <laughs> yeah pretty <laughs> so, much so you can get down there and then gamble on the idea that the chickens are going to hatch uh, from the eggs in the first place because i've thrown like whole stacks of eggs before and not got anything so yeah you gotta you gotta play it safe how about you what have you been up to in minecraft this week so this week we uh, had a couple of streams in Minecraft. I actually streamed Satisfactory on Friday night, which was a nice little break, uh, but kind of fed that technical, I guess, mindset that I've been on over the last few months uh, in, in Minecraft. But we switched back on the weekend to the Citadel and the medieval town of West Hill. And much to my delight, the first build that we did was a one stream, one build done sort of situation. We made an apothecary on one of the market streets on the eastern side of West Hill and used a unique block palette that I am surprised worked. It was a combination of dripstone and granite in the base of the build. And then the roof was a thatched roof. So it had like uh, hay bales. I have a custom texture, so they don't look like snot. But <laughs> I was going to say, easier to do hay bale roofs with your, uh, your lighter yeah, hay bales. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, you could use like, uh, you could use sand and sandstone. And uh, I used stripped birch and stripped oak for like darker, kind yeah. of more weathered or burnt kind of areas in the mm -hmm. roof. Uh, trimmed the whole thing with spruce, uh, added a little um, potion on the sign, kind of like that kind of idea which is really cool. Added some greenery, the uh, azalea bushes with some flowers uh, went really well with some lilacs. And uh, I have a custom beetroot texture. So I stuck one of those in the window 
So it kind of looks like um, that there's a lot of plants and stuff happening in the apothecary. And then inside is the same thing. I hung glowberries from the wall, weeping vines from, uh, you know, over the, the countertop. And I uh, had a cauldron full of water. Um, actually, the cauldron full of water was both um, aesthetic and useful. It kept the glowberries from growing all the way to the floor. So the glowberries kind of hang over the pot and uh, and keep the, the cave vine at a certain length, but then also provide a little bit of light and have this cool kind of it gives you the idea that maybe there might be some sort of water or juice dripping off the berries mm -hmm. into, into the cauldron. Uh, it makes me uh, jealous of the people in uh, Bedrock that can die or not die, but that can use potions and put them in cauldrons so that you can have different colors in the cauldrons. Um, that to me is always a really cool idea. Uh, unless I'm mistaken about that, right? That's that's the thing that's in bedrock. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's, yeah, you, you can definitely do interesting stuff with potions. I think you might even be able to dye the water because of uh, it having more use for dyeing like leather armor and stuff like that. But Oh, that, that's what I, it I, is. I, I may be thinking of older mechanics. I'm not certain if that's still the case. Yeah. Let us know, bedrock players, uh, if, if you have a chance. Uh, so, yeah, that's we did that the first day. Uh, came together really well. Did the inside and the outside. It was a longer stream, about four hours, but it's still... Uh, I was happy with the way it came together and uh, ended up with a little bit of jungle wood around the door just to kind of make it a little bit lighter. And it, it actually worked together well. It, it's hard to work at that scale because uh, my walls are only three blocks tall in a lot of these builds. So once you start getting various different materials in there, it starts to look like a checkerboard real quick if mm -hmm. you're not careful. Mm -hmm. uh, so that was um, that was really fun. Then I moved on to uh, an area of the riverside. Uh, that's really, I think, the last bit in this section of town with the exception of maybe a stable over by the church um, as far as main buildings and we added a warehouse uh, to the riverside and I had the opportunity here where the warehouse was on, up on top of the cliff but of course the river and the docks are all at the very bottom so I made the warehouse like two buildings tall so it's got two stories so up near the apothecary where you'd enter the warehouse it's only one story but at the river it's actually two and I took the opportunity to uh, use some dripstone. Some, sorry, not dripstone. Sorry, I get these mixed up on stream too. Deep slate, uh, smooth basalt, deep slate bricks, and tough. And kind of blended that into like cracked bricks and cracked stone and things like that. Still really feeling the need for a darker stone. Um, I know deep slate is it. But I find that uh, it, it really stands out next to stone and it's hard to kind of mesh between the two. Yeah, it's got Especially a, it's got a very want... strong texture of its own, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. When, you want to, um, when you want to have a blend between the two, tough works okay. But cobblestone, which you think would work, it's too bright. Mm -hmm. Cobblestone is very, very light gray. It's lighter than, than the, uh, the stone brick. So uh, challenging there. Not quite finished, but I'm happy with the way it's going. Uh, we didn't finish the build in one stream because it's a much bigger build. And uh, obviously working with a new block palette, you kind of had to, you know, a lot of puttering around trying to figure out how it's going to work. Uh, also, when I plan these builds on the stream, uh, I do them from a kind of a logistic standpoint. So I had to figure out where the staircase was going to go to get down inside the building to the next level. I had to figure out if the crane was going to work or the hoist on the, on the front of the building. And then the roof, again, the roof was a lot of trial and error to see if I could fix it. And the roof, it's still not 100% I'm not happy with it because it's a slab roof and it's one of those slab roof where it's got three slabs in the middle along the ridge. And then it kind of like just goes down by three slabs as it goes closer to the edge and it works okay. But, uh, I'm worried about, um, it feeling a little bit 
like it's just kind of floating. It's not doesn't really feel like it's it's necessarily substantial. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I need to work on some details that might make it feel like it's stuck to the top. Yeah. Uh, but as a warehouse, I didn't want it to have any kind of peaked roof because it's just a waste of space. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. Um, not to mention that there is a tower attached to a building behind it. And I didn't want that tower to be uh, obscured from the other side of the river. So there was a height limit to this warehouse. I don't want to exceed that. So, um, so yeah, I've been focusing on that. And the thing that I find so useful in any of these builds is using chains and a note block uh, with a grindstone on the top part to create a hoist for this warehouse and placing that note block about halfway up the chain. Uh, it, obviously, it doesn't move, but it creates that illusion of movement. Yeah. And so even as you're walking by on the bridge, you can kind of see this thing out of the corner of your eye and it just feels functional. It feels like it's alive. It adds the impression of movement to a very static game which uh, i think is is a good tip for anybody that's wanting to do something that adds a little bit of life to your builds having that kind of stuff anything that looks like it could move like if you design a, a cart you know like a flower cart and leave that on the side of the road if it looks like it could roll down the road people are just going to imagine it doing that and it just feels so much better walking by that kind of stuff and that's how i feel about any kind of like hoist or hanging thing that looks like it could either blow around be moved up and down anything like that adds a lot of life to your build the other the other building tip along those lines that i picked up over the years was if you have a button of the same wood type and you're um like resting a block on top of a fence if you place a button on top of the block it looks like the block has a fence post driven through it uh and and like just having like a little bobble of the same wood type poking out of the opposite side really gives that impression like it's actually affixed to the structure instead of just being sat on top of it and i've used that a couple of times for stuff like this before chains were implemented i think where if you have like fences being used as a rope you just put a button on the underside of something and it looks like it's attached and is being hauled up and there are just like Mm. little building tips and tricks like that that can really make the difference on builds like this especially if you're working with like a more stripped down block palette and there isn't as much detail around just little details like that do work super well and i I really like the fact that you've got the deep slate like forming a much darker patch in the center of this otherwise fairly plain stone wall i think it makes such an effective contrast when you look at it that way so yeah i really like the style you've gone with and it's good to see you using deep slate after for a while we were like what are we going to use this for and it's yeah branching out and uh, embracing that block palette now yeah, I've been using it in, in I think, very specific cases. I, I think that the thing that we all were hoping for was a very versatile block. And yeah. I think what we got was a very good but very specific block. Yeah. Which So it's a win. It's just that it's a different thing that I think people were expecting. Yeah. Um, and thanks very much. I, I appreciate that. The, the wall isn't finished yet. The wall has is in need of some texture. I, on purpose, did not finish it because I knew that there was going to be something going here, like a giant door or whatever. Mm-hmm. And texturing the whole thing seemed like a waste of time if I'm going to start punching holes in it and build on, over top of it. But uh, I'm looking forward to finishing it up. The next time I stream from the Citadel, th- this project should be done. Uh, I've got some other ideas and functionality to kind of fit into it uh, over the, the next little bit. I get a little bit of maybe some research, maybe look at some miniatures or something. But uh, yeah, so far, so good. Sounds good. Uh, Let's get into the news this week because we have a a brand new experimental snapshot to cover. We do indeed. And we will start with the Java Edition Experimental Snapshot 3. You can find the blog post at minecraft.net. It's the same blog post that's been uh, updated a couple times now. And the part that you want to look at are the changes to Experimental Snapshot 3 
compared to Snapshot 2. Tweaked biome placement to reduce the risk of temperature clashes, such as a snowy biome in the middle of a desert. Temperature classes, clashes will still happen, but not as often. Tweaked biome placement to allow for more noisy, noisiness and diversity again, essentially dialing back some of the changes from last snapshot. This means microbiomes are more likely to happen again, but they will usually be more of matching temperatures. For example, a small forest inside of a plains biome. Red sand is back, tweaked badlands, they sometimes show up in flat areas next to plateaus, and made the red sand generate higher up to account for the generally higher terrain. Made peak biomes and meadows less likely to generate in flat, low elevation areas. Smoothed out cliffs in shattered terrain a bit so that they don't look like chunk errors. Snowy slopes and snow-capped peaks no longer place dirt under the snow. Mountains look less dirty now. No one likes dirty snow. I live in Canada. Believe me, you don't want you don't want the dirty snow. <laughs> it's this diorite. New... That's what you call that. It's diorite. <laughs> a new mountain biome has been added to stony peaks. This is just a variant of lofty snow-capped peaks, peaks that use stone and gravel instead of snow and ice, and is used to avoid temperature clashes such as snow-capped peaks sticking up from a jungle. Added structures to some of the new mountain biomes, including pillager outposts that generate in all new mountain biomes, and villagers now, villages now generate in meadows. Beaches have been tweaked a bit to make them more inclined to show up on flat coastlines rather than hilly areas. Also, the amount of stone shores has been reduced. Coastlines and river banks are less likely to get messed up by aquifers. That is, local water levels are more, mostly used in terrain that doesn't border a river or ocean. Cave openings and ravines that intersect an ocean or river will mostly use sea level. Inland, low elevation areas are less likely to have flooded caves. Aquifers can go deeper and more likely to connect with cave systems further down. That means if you dive into a deep lake on the surface or in a mountain, you will sometimes encounter air pockets that lead into a cave system. Added more high frequency variation to aquifers to reduce the risk of massively huge areas with water-filled caves everywhere. Underground lakes and flooded regions are more likely to be spread out instead of concentrated in one region. They've also fixed goat spawning because they weren't spawning in the new mountain biomes. Swamps are less likely to overlap cold or dry biomes and they no longer place hanging water. Desert temples will now spawn on the surface rather than at a fixed Y level to prevent them getting super buried in some of the adjusted desert elevation. Eroded badlands no longer create floating pillars on the top of the water surface. Grass no longer generates incorrectly underwater and reduce the risk of incorrect surface placements such as grass patches in deserts. They've also reduced the risk of river biomes generating in dry mountain gorges. They don't have support for actual rivers generating above sea level, so if a mountain gorge is above sea level then it will be dry by default. Mob spawning no longer speeds up in low terrain or slows down in high terrain. The new spawning speed is similar to 1.17 spawning at Y64. The change is intended to make spawning more consistent in the updated overworld. And finally, they fixed an issue where players in multiplayer can face far more or far fewer enemies than intended, particularly when other players are flying. Each player now gets their fair share of mobs. Now, following this changelog, uh, Henrik Nieberg, friend of the show <laughs> and former guest, uh, has tweeted out a couple of things and, and a couple of the developers have been more active on Twitter sharing, you know, 
ideas for feedback and what kind of feedback they want particularly we'll come to another example of that in a second but henrik has already partially buried desert temples again uh, a, f a few people seem to give some feedback that the temples were now too obvious too homogenous and it was kind of fun from a more archaeological perspective to find them buried so there's a screenshot on twitter of a slightly buried desert temple Last of all, I wanted to touch on the fact that Minecraft Dungeons has just been added to Nintendo Switch game trials in the UK and Europe. This comes from the Nintendo UK Twitter account and was retweeted by Minecraft Dungeons producer David Nishagen. Um, and if you are a Switch player and if you're still on the fence about trying Minecraft Dungeons, the base game will be free to play for a week from August 18th to August 24th. Bear in mind this does require a Nintendo Switch online membership for you to participate in these game trials, but if you have one of those, it might be worth picking up Minecraft Dungeons on Switch and giving it a try. So I've had a very busy week with other work and have not had time to actually get hands-on in Experimental Snapshot 3, but I know you have. Yes, I have. And I've had a lot of time to look at the conversation going on online from other folks in the community, because of course my focus was going to be on the landscape um, and and changes to that. And in the video, I made a kind of side-by-side -side comparison, like I said, between the two uh, most recent experimental snapshots. And in my opinion, the landscape is still improving. Um, I'm much happier with it now that the temperature clashes have been ironed out. I think it makes the landscape a lot more reliable when you're searching for resources. Like if you find a desert and you're getting a ton of sand from there, you can pretty much guarantee that nearby you're going to have potentially like a savanna if you need acacia wood or a jungle if you want jungle wood and it, it makes searching for resources uh, a little bit more reliable um it, it kind of adds strategy to exploration in the same way that they're talking about adding strategy to mining and that's been the case in minecraft for a while now with the biomes grouping together in terms of temperature they've just managed to make that a little bit more of a feature of the the new terrain gen uh, in addition to that, I've actually found that frozen oceans now generate next to cold land biomes a lot more consistently, which helps the world itself feel a bit more realistic, that you're getting icebergs alongside a cold tiger or a snowy beach or something like that. And I think that was the case when they introduced uh, those different ocean biomes back in the update Aquatic. They couldn't really tie it to the same type of surface generation as the land had. So I think now they are completely rewriting terrain generation and focusing on it being grouped together by different temperatures i think it was it was possible for them to to implement a change like that which which i think works really really well um outside of that i'm much happier with the frequency of beaches uh, i talked before about how i didn't really find beaches that often in the latest experimental snapshot and stone shores were basically everywhere and this time around i found like a decent amount of them to the point where they didn't seem conspicuously absent um and i think one of the things i'm happiest with is the the chunk error mountains that i was talking about got mentioned in the change log and uh i've got a side-by-side -side comparison screenshot which might make its way into the show notes but that really shows the difference between experimental snapshots two and three and shows the improvements they've made to the really sheer cliffs um they're, they're a lot more natural looking just in terms of support from the ground and you know a few details that allow it to feel a little bit less squared off the whole time so a lot happier with that but i think the most controversial change in all of this was second from the bottom it's the one that's really dominated the community discussion about this is the changes to mob spawning 
at different terrain heights. And this will be familiar. I think that the easiest example is if anyone has ever built an Enderman farm and you build it as low down as possible in the end dimension. If you're trying to build a super efficient Enderman farm, you build it at, you know, Y level zero, basically, like as, as low down as you can, because the game calculates spawning faster if you are that far down and there are no blocks above that to potentially spawn mobs on. And that is something the technical community has relied upon for making farms more efficient and it's what leads to people creating perimeters in the overworld to prevent mob spawning in a certain radius and building their farms as low down as possible in the overworld to get you know hyper fast mob spawning this most recent snapshot has removed any kind of height dependency from mob spawning and has homogenized the spawn rate at every height of the world um and this at first sounded like a bad idea to me and then it sounded like a good idea to me and then it sounded like a bad idea again <laughs> so i feel like my opinion on it is flip-flopping pretty much constantly um any knee-jerk reaction from you about that joel what, what are your thoughts on uh, on mob spawning being the same wherever you are in the world so this was something that i, I did catch on twitter here and there uh, not enough to remember who was speaking but the the general consensus was the tech community was d saying dislike and yeah uh didn't hear much more than other than just a few arguments to the other way but uh i i don't necessarily i mean and this is anecdotal because i don't do a lot of these farms but i don't want to dig a perimeter that doesn't sound fun to me mm -hmm. uh, i don't want to blow it up uh it just sounds like a lot of work to create a very square ugly hole in your world just to get you know a lot of mob drops out of a specific farm now you're going to maybe need that if you're on a very heavy technical server and there's demand for redstone from your witch farm and you want to just crank redstone out of this thing i get it but i think when you look at the millions of people that play minecraft and the idea of just making mob spawning consistent over the height of the world without the need to make your farm lower I think then opens up more creative possibilities because as someone that, you know, does have a creeper farm on the Citadel that myself and Matt Cast and Alistair built, and we had to dig out a big hole and place it low in the ground because we wanted lots of gunpowder for lots of rockets. Uh, we ended up putting it in the Dartmouth Meadows because we, we didn't have to light up as much uh, around it because it would have already been lit up from our, our regular exploration of the area and mm -hmm. mining in the region. Like we didn't have to worry too much about that. Um, but I would have much rather had that creeper farm be somewhere as visible where it could have been a project. It's just a hole in the ground. Like there's a spout that gunpowder comes out of. It's not a very, I mean, it's an all right looking spout, but like the creeper farm itself could have been a build unto its own. Instead, it's hidden underground. And uh, that to me uh, limits the creativity. So if you want a mob spawner and, or let's, you know, say if you're making one of the general mob spawners that you recently built, um, I don't want it to float up in the sky like an airship. Like I'd like to attach it to something and I'd like that to not matter. And I think that's why I'd say this is actually a good idea, but I'm happy to be, you know, flipped the other way or, or happy to hear the, the, your battle going back and forth. Yeah. I, I think the, the counter argument to that is that you can still build creeper farms that way now, <laughs> you know, like that there, there are, so many ways in which say like for example the mob farm that i built i built a mob farm 
on my hardcore world 128 blocks off the ground in a desert and i did it that way because there are fewer zombie spawns in the desert but that's by the by the idea behind that was just to get it as far off the ground as possible so that i i could afk near the farm prevent as few mobs as possible from despawning in the process of them heading down into soul campfires i afk'd at that thing for an hour i still got about a double chest and a half's worth of mob drops and that was all gunpowder, all bones, the kind of thing that, you know, in a single player world is probably going to last me for the foreseeable future <laughs> at this stage, unless I do some pretty serious work there. But it's enough bones to get me like plenty of bone blocks and power bone meal based farms and that kind of thing without any real need to optimize anything at all. And I'm building that in arguably one of the more inefficient ways to build it, which is to build it up high in the sky where spawn rates are theoretically going to be slower. And I'm still getting more than what I need. And so the argument I've seen being made is that those farms are not going to be made inaccessible to people if mob spawning remains the same as it currently is. But the problem is instead it's removing a lot of nuance from the hardcore technical community being able to put in greater effort for greater reward and making a farm hyper efficient. It removes one of the key things that, you know, results in them redesigning a farm and making you know a few more technical leaps and innovating in that space because now mob spawns just don't make a difference and you everyone's just going to end up building stuff in the sky because that's the most convenient place to do it and it's going to require the least amount of work and i i kind of buy this argument like i i kind of buy the fact that for a start, it removes that effort and reward that makes communities like Psycraft so iconic. And the, and the other technical servers out there, I'm not going to... You know, Psycraft is probably one of the most well-known, but I'm not going to discount anybody else's effort here. I just think, you know, when you see people tackling stuff like that, it feels like a whole arm of Minecraft that you are maybe unfamiliar with that feels spectacular in a different way to when you're seeing people build something spectacular. And the fact that that would then be effectively made obsolete is kind of a shame. Um, and it also means that, yeah, people have less reason to go to the lengths that they do. And I don't think anyone is really required to go to the effort of digging out a perimeter if they're not prepared to do that in the first place. The fact is that if they are prepared to do that, then some reward for it is kind of nice. It's what we've been used to up until this point, at least. And so the people who benefit most from a change that, you know, makes mob spawning the same wherever you are in the world is, you know, early to mid-level technical players who want to make a somewhat efficient farm but don't have the time to dig out a perimeter. In reality, those people are not being denied the opportunity to make a mob farm like that now. <laughs> and so, yeah, I, I think it's it's a weird case and I think it's something that the team is going to have to really have a a longer dialogue with the technical community which as far as i know they are doing in various you know discords and things about how the problem could be solved when it comes to spawning mobs in a, a closer area to the player and dealing with the fact that which farms aren't going to be as effective because of the increase in height of the world if they keep the current rates of mob spawning um there is another argument to be made uh, on the part of exploration-focused players, actually. I've seen a few people talk about how, as they went deeper into the caves and deeper into the world, they found there being more mobs spawning because the lower you get in the world, then, uh, in theory, the game is spawning more mobs around you. And so 
that kind of introduces a layer of challenge because you're encountering more threat the further you go into caves. I don't necessarily buy this because I don't think it happens quite the way they expect because the the game is still spawning mobs in a 128 block radius around you so you're not going to have the entire mob cap spawning right at the bottom of the world especially because there are loads of blocks above you um but that might change more with the increase in world height so there is again like potential for the game to feel more challenging if there is the nuance to it of mobs spawning more frequently the further down in the world you go do we know the motivation behind the change like do we know why the change was made yeah so king b dogs tweeted this out um and the the tweet in question says some background this attempts to solve a few problems one long-term design upkeep so making sure that farms don't need to constantly change as, as we move from version to version uh two mobs spawning less on the surface than in 1.17 and three mob farms that couldn't be moved like witch farms were being nerfed compared to 1.17 and I think that last point is valid. I think the second point has kind of been disproven because the mob cap fills up so fast when a player in survival is present in the world that it, it's not necessarily going to spawn more mobs on the surface if you just have like the same mob spawn rates everywhere. I think it's still going to spawn a lot of mobs in caves and now there are even more blocks below you in which mobs can spawn in cave and like cavern environments. So... I, I think a few people have pointed out that with the mob cap being as low as it is, once the game reaches 70 hostile mobs, that's it. You're not necessarily going to get more spawning on the surface. You're also going to get mobs spawning in caves during the day and nothing spawning on the surface at night. And then at night, the surface is going to stay peaceful because the mobs in caves are still there. So I, I think it is a, a problem that isn't necessarily resolved by a change as big as this. I feel like this change isn't quite addressing it in the way that they would like. As far as long-term design upkeep goes, I think the technical community enjoys adapting to some of this stuff. And yes, it's a pain when iron farms break because that's a resource that they rely on to make larger and larger projects in survival. But I think it's more of a pain when, you know, something like this is removed and they realize that all of the optimizations they've made over the years for accounting for mob spawning height and balancing between the amount of effort involved versus the reward out is just effectively made obsolete by a change like this. I don't think it's the right move going forward um, in terms of long-term community involvement in technical Minecraft. I feel like it seems like a step back rather than a step forward. So just to make sure that there's no confusion here, because I find sometimes the way that Mojang presents these issues to be a little bit convoluted. The issue was that mobs were spawning less on the surface in 118 yes and so to increase them they homogenized the spawning vertically in the world and the argument is that won't work yes yeah. so if you keep mob spawning the way it is in 1.17 then in theory because the game is going to try and spawn more mobs lower down in the world all of the mobs end up in caves and you don't get as many on the surface Whereas right. if you make it the same speed basically on every layer of the world, then in theory, more mobs should show up on the surface because it's not prioritizing the bottom of the world over any other layers in 118. The problem with that being that there is still, you know, 128 block radius from the player in which to spawn 70 hostile mobs. <laughs> And, mm -hmm. you know, honestly, you're going to see maybe one or two extra zombies on the surface, but it's not going to feel like a rebalance in the threat you feel when you're on the surface. 
And honestly, I, f I feel like the surface should still be safer than caves during the night. Like, I, I kind of like the idea that, you know, you're still going to encounter threat when you're going caving. And I feel like the fact that you're on the surface and there's moonlight and stuff might, you know, have some kind of play into that. But e either way, that that's, that's kind of by the by, I think, based on, like, just a survival experience. I didn't really notice anything different when I was exploring an experimental snapshot three in survival i didn't really feel like there was a difference in mob spawning the caverns still felt dangerous enough with you know a lot of darkness around when i got down to that layer but i think the surface was still going to feel dangerous regardless because at that stage in the game you are ill-equipped to take on any serious challenges in survival see i think mob spawning less than the surface would be a good thing i'm not saying none i'm not saying an extreme twist in the other direction but i'm saying that less surface mobs in 118 to me would be a nice balance with uh you know people that want to build and explore and don't want to constantly be fighting skeletons and zombies <laughs> at night uh or to the people that want to find those mobs to know all you have to do is get into a cave like get underground get lower and you're just going to encounter them more uh i th i think that that um, it reminds me of the of a, a gameplay mechanic in Satisfactory, which is that bad guys, the things that will shoot you and eat you in that game, do not spawn in your factories. They, the game just says, if there's a player-built thing, don't spawn bad guys here. So if you're looking for things that you need from killing bad guys, you just have to go out and adventure and encounter bad guys. And if you don't want to do that, just don't go outside your front door. And it works great. And, and I think that depending on the mood that you're in and what you need to do in the game, in Minecraft, that's a great way to handle it i'm not saying again not no mobs on the surface but fewer i think might might kind of balance out uh, a lot of players that just don't want to deal with them um or find them annoying like maybe it's not that it's a hard thing it's just that oh god just i'm trying to you know i i had a I had a, a moment the other day on stream when i was trying to like address something important in chat and i had to stop and punch a zombie because yeah it somehow found its way into in the middle of my city street so like that kind of stuff i, I think could be uh handled a little bit better but um with mob farms that can't be moved, like witch farms, like they were nerfed in one eighteen because of the lower spawn rates. Yeah, because they're 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 at a, a certain a fixed level in the world, and the world got deeper, and therefore less witches were spawning. But I thought witch farms just spawned witches regardless. And they do, but it is still based on natural spawning mechanics, right? Like, the, uh, okay, it's still kind of using the same spawning routine that it does when it's searching for. A place to spawn other hostile mobs uh it's not like there is a spawner block in there that's spawning the witches um it still relies on the hostile mob cap and that's kind of why um you know it, it runs the same routine that it does searching for valid places to spawn a witch inside a witch hut and that's going to be affected by height and with you know the same spawning algorithm but starting 64 blocks lower you have a little bit less efficiency with witch farms which to the oh, average okay. player once again is not going to be the biggest yeah. concern but to technical players who've been again optimizing things for years and digging out bed bedrock level perimeters around their witch farms they're going to see fewer bits of redstone coming through and that kind of thing um, it's going to be a hard thing to balance because I know that Mojang obviously wants to do what's best for the game and what's best for most players. Yeah. Uh, but I do find, and this is, again, I'm not throwing any shade at the technical players because I enjoy a good technical build myself. And I've got, I didn't necessarily dig a perimeter around my witch farm, but I certainly cleared a lot of swamp and lit up a lot of caves just to make sure that my efforts of the witch farm were not completely just slow and, and not worth it. 
Um, but I do find that the technical community can be a very loud minority, you know, in the same way that when you build a farm, you'll end up with someone saying, well, that's not the most efficient way to do it. And he's like, well, it doesn't matter. You know, like it's not, that's not how everyone thinks. Yeah. And I don't want to depreciate the effort in the, like you mentioned before, your point to like the grandiose, amazing, just bananas things that the super technical people can do in the survival of Minecraft. But uh, I think that there's an important balance to remember is that that is not most players you know yeah i i think the the difference here being that most players would not notice the difference i honestly don't think these changes would affect the average mm, player mm -hmm. experience in the slightest it is a huge change from their perspective it, it's you know it's like fr from a technical player's perspective if they removed you know all of the geode blocks from the game then technical players wouldn't bat an eyelid but we'd be like hey where's all my geode blocks gone you know i think it's the same principle it's like these folks are working with the game in a way that suits them so well and to have that change so dramatically i think we can't really ignore that as a community because there are you know because it's not going to affect the average player experience because yeah, I, th I think it's affecting them way more than it has any effect on on us. So they they are the people with the the most right to complain, <laughs> I think. Um, and when it comes to preventing spawns on the surface, you got to consider that this set of snapshots also introduced, uh, you know, the mob spawns have to be in complete darkness rule, and so it's going to be much easier to spawn proof the surface and and even caves to a certain extent as well. Um, and we also have the option to sleep. So there are a bunch of different things that can impact uh, mob spawning to the player's benefit when we're on the surface. But then if you're trying to increase mob spawning, there isn't really a way to do that in Minecraft other than using spawner blocks. There isn't really a way to have mob spawning speed up if that's what you want. There aren't any... Like in, in Pokemon, for example, there is like a lure item that you can use and you attract more Pokemon encounters so you can battle more or catch more or whatever you want to do. Uh, players with Pokemon Go might also have a familiarity with this if you're trying to catch Pokemon that way. It's the same kind of thing. There isn't anything like that in Minecraft. There's nothing that draws mobs to a certain area. And so for players who have to work with natural spawning mechanics, they're taking anything they can get to make those rates faster. Whereas there are plenty of things that we can use to repel mobs. So I think in terms of the survival balance, again, it's not going to make much of a difference to the average survival player. It's going to make a huge difference to the technical community. So I, again, I'm hoping that this is a dialogue that's ongoing behind the scenes and that the technical community has some good suggestions. I think that's ultimately what we want <laughs> is for, you know, for there to be some pushback against things like this but for it to be constructive and for it to have alternative suggestions for how these things whether it's on a code level or on a gameplay you know here's an item you can get that increases mob spawns in a certain area and you know opening up a dialogue about that rather than just saying we don't like this and seeming like you're throwing a tantrum like i, I don't think that's what the technical community is doing but i'm i'm hoping that there is at least a uh a dialogue going on with some constructive feedback and potentially a few other solutions arising from this. And if you are watching this from the sidelines and keeping up with the spawn chunks and the things that are going on with some of the developer tweets, it sounds like if you've got a big farm project, you might want to wait <laughs> just a little bit. Not not in any kind of like, not to, to, to uh, belittle the situation, but like really wait until you see where all the, the crumbs fall, you know, and, and decide then how to approach it. Because it would be, 
not a good experience if you were digging a perimeter now to find out that you either didn't have to or it wasn't worth it or something like that later on down the line. Yeah, I well, think that um, it, it'd be good to kind of wait if you have a massive, massive project, you know, on the go. If, you know, reports are to be believed, anybody digging a perimeter now is going to find that they just have another 64 blocks of cave below them anyway. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, well, we'll see how that works out for them. But it's time to move on to chunk mail, I think. Uh, if you'd like to email the show about any of the stuff we've discussed or anything that's just on your mind in the world of Minecraft, you can do that at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. Keep the emails short and sweet, and we would love to hear from some technical players and think about uh, a little bit about how you feel about these uh, technical changes in the experimental snapshots. Um, this is our chunk mail dispenser episode as well, so we're trying to get through a few extra emails from listeners. But uh, yeah, we've got <laughs> got a lot to say about the experimental snapshots, so we're only just getting around to it. This first email though comes from Bilbo Stomper, who is a landscape artist member of our Discord. Thank you so much for the email. The subject is: Would Mojang ever change this? Hi, Joel and Pix, Bilbo Stomper from the Discord here. Love the show. I've never been a computer gamer, but a little less than a year ago, my daughter introduced me to Minecraft and I was hooked. I really love the game and listening to your podcast has been a lot of help, but as a new player, there are some things I find strange and unintuitive, and I was wondering if you guys think Mojang will ever change them. Number one, you need three steps to get from cobblestone to smooth stone slabs, but only one step to go from cobbled deep slate to polished deep slate slabs. Do you think Mojang will ever standardize crafting recipes for similar items? Number two, if you manage to trap a piglin brute in a boat, he just sits there. Do you think Mojang will ever make it possible for hostile mobs to get out of boats or minecarts? Number three, the world outside is infinite, but I often see players cramming villages and other mobs into very small spaces. Do you think Mojang will ever require mobs to have more free space to be able to grow, breed, and trade efficiently? Thanks for your answer. Uh, thank you for answering my noobish questions. Bilbo Stomper was moosed by a moose. <laughs> I don't know if don't know if you're getting that moose from Minecraft. There's some uh, some mods. I suspect mods, Joel. I would love a moose in Minecraft. As a Canadian, I think that would be an excellent addition. <laughs> I think I think uh, Gemini Tay might agree with you. I think the cobblestone to smoothstone slab argument. Um, I don't think i don't say never but i don't think that'll be changed in minecraft vanilla because you can do that with data packs i've done it with a couple of things uh and have another thing on my list to add to recipe related data packs uh, i've talked about it before i've got the log cutter recipe data pack which allows me to use the stone cutter with wood in the same way that you can use it with stone and I, we have a little bit of a tweak here and there to give like a few extra trapdoors, but just because we use them so much, but we, we generally don't get more. It's just faster. It's just easier to put a log in and get stairs out rather than turn logs into planks and then draw stairs in the crafting table. And just, it's just a lot easier to have one thing that does it more efficiently. And I've been thinking about adding it to, uh, for deep slate because deep slate, you can't do anything with deep slate. You have to use cobbled deep slate. And if you're in end game and you have a silk touch pick and you've collected a lot of deep slate <clears throat> like me, then you have to recollect it and turn it into cobble before you can turn it into anything else. So those recipe tweaks are pretty accessible for most people. If you know how to use a resource pack, you can usually find a data pack and install it quite easily. So I don't think that they're going to have much going on in, in terms of that. What was your thoughts on number one? So the thing about cobblestone compared to cobbled deep slate is like we've we've talked about it before how weird it is that deep slate 
bricks are crafted from cobble. <laughs> and, and Deep Slate doesn't seem to follow the same rules in general. A Deep Slate seems like an exception when it comes to uh, the crafting recipes that we are used to. But that is polished Deep Slate, which is kind of the same as polished andesite or polished granite, right? If you think of them as polished, then it's a separate family of blocks compared to the smooth ones. The smooth recipes all work the same as cobblestone. To get smooth sandstone, you have to smelt sandstone and then craft it into slabs. To get smooth quartz, you have to get a quartz block, smelt that, and then craft it into slabs. Those recipes aren't available to you in the stone cutter by default. So yes, the cobblestone to stone and then smelt it again to get to smooth stone is... I think is weird because of it being a legacy block a kind of legacy recipe for that and like the double stone slab being separate from a smooth stone block was something that you know took a, a little while to be added to the game and still feels like a bit of an exception but when you're talking about smooth anything that is largely speaking crafted the same way you end up making the smooth material by smelting it in a furnace and then you can craft it into slabs after that so smooth and polished not quite the same. It's terminology that you have to get used to, and obviously as a newer player it can be a little bit confusing, but that might explain the reason for the confusion there. So point number two, uh, trapping piglin brutes in boats. Um, I honestly don't want them to change that, because for a start it adds a little bit of strategy to rushing in there. It, it gives you options, uh, more or less, because you know, for people who aren't as keen on combat, but who still want to be able to raid a bastion, maybe people who don't have the reflexes, the motor skills to defend themselves against a rushing horde of piglins, then, you know, trapping them in boats is a good idea. Plus, if you then attack the piglin brute, you're still going to draw the aggro of all of the piglins around you. So it's not like, you know, you can't trap them in a boat and then insta-kill them. You can pour a bucket of lava on them or something, maybe, I guess. Um... But I think if Mo Mojang ever makes it possible for hostile mobs to leave a boat or a minecart, then, you know, we lose that as an option for mob transportation, which is nice for a whole bunch of things. For a start, from my perspective, I just made a museum in Minecraft and transported a bunch of hostile mobs to it. I would lose the option to be able to do that and put them on display, make like a, a kind of mob zoo, or use them in farms if you're transporting piglins into the center of with a skeleton farms so that they can aggro on them and, and make a farm better. I think without the options of using boats or minecarts for some of those, it just becomes even harder to get the mobs to do what you want them to do. Um, I think the, the there's a possibility for like a ranged mob, like a pillager with a crossbow or something to accidentally shoot the boat and that can sometimes get them out of a situation like that, but for the most part I think it's a good thing that you can trap mobs somehow without them implementing like a, you know, a hunting net or something that you could throw over a mob. It sort of seems like the next best thing to me. Do you do much of that kind of stuff, Joel? Do you tend to trap mobs when you're fighting them or if you're trying to move them somewhere? Not in a in a defense mechanism. I think the only time we've ever done that was maybe in the um, dragon fight. We brought some boats just to kind of stick some endermen in, just kind of reduce the amount of moving endermen around. Yeah. Um, the the movement of mobs though, like villagers and uh, other mobs in the game with minecarts, like one hundred percent have done that. Uh, zombies for iron farms, things like that. I, I agree with you. I, I don't think they're going to change the way that you can um, trap hostile mobs in in boats and and minecarts if anything i'd like to see more transport options not less mm -hmm. um and for all the for all the same points that that you outlined uh on to number three uh with 
players talking about um, cramming villagers into small spaces and things like that. The um, we'll call it the unethical trading hall <laughs> yeah, situation. Uh-huh. Uh, see the Citadel's Hotel of Eternity. Mm-hmm. I, I, you can control this. I think in the game settings, can you not change the mob cramming? settings it's not settings maybe it's a game rule that you have to change with a command but right now entities can occupy uh by default uh up to 24 in one spot and then when you add another one they all start to take damage uh and so people use that often in zombie um zombified piglin farms uh entity cramming used to kill the mobs rather than having to hit them with weapons and stuff like that um as far as villagers needing room and space to breed and not being able to pile on top of one another, etc. Um, you could dial that back and have it so that they can't get on top of one another. Or that if they did, it would start. They would start to die, and then you, as the player, would have to make sure everybody had enough space. Um, I don't know where Mojang is gonna is gonna sit on on that. I feel like there's been a lot of adjustments to trading and stuff. And I know anecdotally, I've seen a lot of content creators talk about how overpowered they feel like trading with villagers is. So. I don't know if that's going to be dialed back or not. What do you think? I think it's been attempted in the past and it just didn't feel like the right solution. So like during the snapshots for 1.14, the village and pillage update, I think Mojang did experiment with requiring villagers to sleep before they would refresh their trades. I believe that also used to be a mechanic on Bedrock Edition before the trading mechanisms were brought closer in line for parity reasons. And I think players didn't like it because it broke existing trading hall layouts for one thing, but... There are also, you know, game types, servers, various different situations in which players would want to have as many villagers as possible in a small enough space. And I think what happens when you end up with solutions like this where, you know, villagers need more space around them to feel happy and, you know, that decides whether or not they have good trading players will always end up finding whatever loopholes they can to still make things as convenient as possible for the player. Like, for example, villagers need a block of space in which to move away and back to their workstation before they can refresh their trades. The way you get around that in trading halls is putting a trap door in front of them because they see that as a block they can navigate over, and that tricks them into thinking that they have enough space to move when actually they don't. Ultimately, all of this stuff is defined by how Mojang codes stuff. And the way Mojang codes stuff is, for a start, beholden to a system that has to be optimized. (laughs) So, you know, creating more logic that the mobs have to go through before they decide whether or not they want to breed or eat wheat or trade or anything like that is just going to add more stuff that the game has to calculate, which can potentially cause even more lag. And for stuff like villagers and animals, that's like always a bit of a problem anyway but i think players are always going to try and find loopholes that still allow them to do things the way we do them now um and it's really player feedback that has led to mojang arriving at the solutions they have right now which just give players the most options like lately when i play with villagers especially i've taken the approach to keeping villagers free roaming often in the villages that i found them in and I sleep frequently while I'm there to avoid the threat of zombies or, you know, zombie sieges, anything like that. And that's a choice I can make versus the option of being able to, you know, coop them up in smaller sort of storage areas, which maybe adds them to like a neat section of your base and you can design a trading hall and a redstone mechanism and stuff. And it doesn't have to take up too much space or you can make the biggest village you've ever seen and make it your job to defend that. 
and build individual houses for all of them and stuff. The fact is, there are so many approaches you can take, and we'll see players taking the easiest possible approach a lot of the time, but that doesn't necessarily have to affect the way you play, and if you feel like you need to treat your cows with a little bit more, you know, ethical, you know, uh, you know, your humanity, if you want to make things a little bit more comfortable for them, you can build them a giant cow pasture and, you know, decorate a field for them and that kind of thing. They're not going to mind one way or the other because they're based on code, ultimately, but I think if you want to see that kind of thing in minecraft gameplay it's the kind of thing you'll want to do yourself and feel happy that you're the one that does it moving on to the second email from gundar h striker a landscape artist member in our community subject is inventory hi pix and joel i have a quick idea for an inventory clutter solution that i haven't heard yet on the show a lot of games have an auto sorting button that usually regroups all of your items inventory and lays them out alphabetical color or some sort of other category categorical order i think having a button like this is an easy addition that would save a minute or two each time you uh, reorganize a chest shulker box and most importantly your own inventory may the chunks be with you gunder h striker Uh, (laughs) i know we've touched on this in the show before but it's worth bringing up again uh i flip-flop on this feature a lot uh i would love it Uh, i see Similar features in mods and in other games like Satisfactory, which I mentioned earlier today. Um, Satisfactory is a bit easier um, to sell the function of it into the lore because it's such a whimsical, technical game that being able to sort your inflatable pocket dimension, which is what they call it in the game, uh, really kind of lends itself to the UI and the lore kind of working mm-hmm. together. Yeah, uh, I believe uh, the Minecraft mod that I used uh, to sort uh, bi- allowed me to sort like big stacks and small stacks as well. Uh, I also think it was called Inventory Sorting by Cryptonaut. Uh, I played it in All of Fabric 3 for 116. That's also available in 117.1, I believe. Uh, The counter argument uh, that after years of play, everyone has the way, quote unquote, that they like their inventory to look. For example, I have my ender chest and my crafting table in the top right, torches, bed, scaffolding in the top left, free space in between, and then no one touches my hotbar. the one thing I think most people can agree is is the hotbar needs to kind of be separate from any kind of sorting that happens. I don't want my pickaxe to suddenly be thrown up into the P section of my inventory when I re, like reorganize things alphabetically. Um, what do I think about sorting an inventory layout that is like say separate from your main inventory? So like what about what about having like say six blocks? of your inventory off to the right-hand side. I'm just using that as an example because I'm right-handed probably. As those six blocks can't move. Great place to put your ender chest, a couple of shulkers, stuff like that. But then the other section of your inventory, if you did have an inventory sort button, would be the part that would get sorted around. Uh, I think that could be very useful. Uh, I think at some point Minecraft is going to have to say, yeah, you know what? We want it to kind of feel like a a survival game with kind of like a bit of a sword and bows and arrow feel, but sometimes UI is going to have to win out. I mean, the fact that we have a UI and a crafting book and all that kind of stuff, I feel like we should be able to have a few more graphical UI bells and whistles without having to go the the route of a a mod. Uh, The other thing that I was thinking of is that, and I don't know how this would be achieved technically, is that being able to save an inventory layout in the same way that you can save a hotbar layout in creative mode. Yeah. Um, I think it would be cool if you could say like, look, this is how I like my inventory and like lock those specific spots and say like, 
I've locked these five over there. That's how I like my ender chest and my crafting table set up with my other things. And then whenever I click resort, it'll say, we're going to put all the stuff that you want specifically over here. And then everything else, we're just going to order alphabetically over on the, on the other side. Because I think that would be good for accessibility too, because there are people with different needs that play Minecraft and you might um, really get frustrated with the lack of being able to easily alphabetize, you know, set your inventory up in alphabetical order or whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, I have a couple of recommendations. First of all, Inventory Tweaks, which is Inventory Tweaks Renewed, I think, for 1.16.5. Uh, I don't think it's out for 1.17 yet, but uh, that is a mod that does this. Uh, it adds a bunch of sorting options that allow you to sort alphabetically by category, various things like that. Uh, Tweakaroo for 1.17.1 doesn't have this in particular, but it does have an option to swap out your hotbar for any of the other rows of your inventory. Uh, so that's something that you can use. Um, I think the problem there is that there are a bunch of mods out there that make changes like this, and nobody can agree on an approach because none of the inventory mods that I've worked with have had an auto-sort that worked for me specifically. <laughs> and I think there, there are so many different solutions to this based on all of the different ways people imagine this working. Um, I think the counter-argument to that is if... Mojang had implemented an auto sort function years ago we would probably all just be used to it by now we would just take it for granted that that's how the game organized things we'd make a couple of tweaks of our own and that'd be it but I think introducing it at a stage when players have established these habits over a decade is going to be even harder to come up with a solution that pleases everybody and again it's nice to have the option you don't have to use it if you don't want to but the fact that it is there and somehow doesn't work to your specific needs is kind of a, a difficult thing to get around. The solutions that you've proposed remind me of Terraria's approach to inventory organization, which is allowing you to favorite items in your inventory, which don't ah. end up being affected by auto-sorting or stacking to nearby chests. So you can basically keep them locked into where you want them. And, you know, if you end up hitting the auto sort button by mistake or if you end up auto sorting stuff you can guarantee that those will still be there and if there are you know items in chests around you that in terraria you click a button and it puts all of the copper that you have in your inventory with the copper that's in the chest nearby um you know it will ignore that action if the copper is favorited and so that indicates the game that you want to keep it i think the problem then becomes you spend too much time in your inventory. And Terraria's inventory is kind of like, um, you know, in, in first-person shooters, how people will kind of, like, dance from side to side while their inventory is open. They'll, like, strafe so that they can, you know, still maneuver guns around and stuff. Um, Terraria's inventory allows you to still control your player while the inventory is open. So you can, if you are more familiar with the system, do that stuff on the fly. But Minecraft stops you dead in your tracks whenever you have the inventory open and you can't control the player until the inventory is closed again. So I think the problem becomes you spend too much time immobile in your inventory favoriting stuff. <laughs> I think that there has to be a solution that allows you to do something quickly and still stay mobile. So it's, it's difficult. I think ultimately any changes to inventory, whether it comes down to bundles and shulker boxes and ender chests and all of the stuff they've added to improve inventory over the years just comes with a new set of rules that we need to learn mm -hmm. and i think uh, satisfactory does the same thing as as terraria uh, in a way in that the um you've got a tool belt 
So your your weapons and your tools and stuff are on one thing, which is the mouse wheel. And then no matter what you do with your inventory, sorting it, whatever, it doesn't change your your loadout, like your yeah. your weapons and stuff like that. So it, that kind of stuff is safe and separate. Yeah, no, I, th- I think there is ultimately going to be a solution to this further down the road because it is one of the many problems with inventory that I think Mojang are looking at. But I think it's always going to come down to finding a solution that is customizable enough, but then user-friendly enough that it works for everyone or just something that everyone is going to have to deal with and use or not use and then over time as the game accrues new players and you know people get used to it then they'll just accept that as like the way the game does things uh bear in mind you've also got to make sure it is accessible to everybody playing versions of minecraft that aren't on pc (laughs) so we think of this as like the java kind of approach to it but then you know bedrock players on mobile and console also have to deal with this being an extra button on their gui and i think that's the reason minecraft's inventory doesn't have as many bells and whistles is because they're they're still having to adapt everything to all of these different platforms that the game is played on but an ongoing problem uh let's move on to the next email this one comes in from mersobo who uh, writes in about the future of land to ocean ratio Hi guys, just finished watching Pixarif's video on Experimental Snapshot 3. With all the changes being made to terrain generation and biome temperatures, I've been hoping to hear some news concerning how the land to ocean ratio could be addressed. Currently, Minecraft worlds are generated as an endless, interconnected landmass, leaving oceans landlocked. Oceans pre-Minecraft 1.7 were understandably changed due to their excessive size and lack of content, as well as the addition of many new biomes and the biome temperature system. Between the update aquatic injecting life into the oceans and the new possibilities apparent in multi-noise generation, I feel that a continental world with interconnected oceans just slightly larger in size to current ones would be a monumental change. Mojang has been making great strides towards improving overall adventuring and exploration, and if one's world were broken up by an ocean instead of land, I think it would only reinforce this goal. Yours, Mersobo. So, interconnected oceans. I don't think I'd ever played on a map pre 1.7, so I've not really had much experience of this as a phenomenon. I've only really known the Minecraft that has you know this amount unless i was playing on a a map of limited size like when i started on the uh the xbox 360 edition but um i don't know how i feel about this because i've still encountered oceans that felt massive like oceans that you can get lost in oceans that you can row out into the middle of and not see land 360 degrees around you with a decent render distance and i don't know if minecraft really needs more than that i don't know why people feel that the minecraft world has to so closely mimic our own world which we know is all a series of interconnected oceans i i sort of wonder if minecraft needs more space for the land because the land is where you actually do stuff (laughs) i don't know uh this might be something you have more of an opinion on though joel what's your uh your take on this i actually thought that they were wrong I was just like, no, the Citadel's got continents and oceans. That's how I trim chunks. Like when I trim chunks between major updates, uh, I go by the continent. So if the continent's got a bunch of people building on it, then I don't trim anything inside that continent. I go up to the ocean edge and just kind of trim everything outside of that. I was wrong. I went to go look at a map on chunk base of my seed for the Citadel, and uh, it is very much a large landmass with giant, we'll call them lakes, that the, the biomes are oceans. 
Uh, but some of them are so big, as you mentioned, that you can go into the middle of them and just not see land for miles. We have a coral reef that is a thousand blocks, 1600 blocks even in diameter. Mm -hmm. So not only is it an ocean that's that large, it's a very interesting and cool looking ocean that's that large. Uh, I think that the reason why oceans aren't interconnected and, and larger uh, are are because of new players uh, discovering them and it just being boring or, or inaccessible at that level of, of play, right? Like you don't have aqua affinity, you don't have gear. Um, it's just people are just not going to go out in the middle of the ocean and hang out there because you just can't, you can't do much. Uh, there's no food outside of some fish and some kelp, you know, like it's, it's not as intuitive as being on land and chopping down trees and going through the game progression early game. So, um, I don't think they're necessarily going to go in that direction. I, I think that there's enough of a, of a, I guess, generation variation that, that if you wanted to, you could probably tweak some settings and get more oceans. Um, if they increased, the features in oceans and I, and I'm not to, to belittle the amount of really cool stuff that happened in the update aquatic, but with the new to grain generation, underwater mountains, like underwater ravines, something that makes ocean monuments a little bit different, more islands or volcanoes, or I don't know the kind of stuff that you could find in oceans that could make them a little bit more interesting, uh, might require some larger oceans. Uh, as far as bodies of water being connected, the thing that I think, needs to happen more is rivers and lakes being connected rather than just stopping yeah <laughs> uh, i find that that to me is more of a, a a take me out of this exploration remind me oh yeah this is a weird little video video game isn't it i i feel like that kind of stuff pulls me out more than the oceans i don't notice the oceans feeling like they're lacking or the landmass feel like it's lacking on the ocean shore, especially with this cool stuff that I'm seeing in the experimental snapshot with stony shores. Those are awesome. Um, and uh, I think that maybe just rivers and lakes having more connectivity that way, I think would be better. Um, what do you think about like the, the ocean? Like, do you think that they need, if they got bigger, they, do you think that they would need more stuff in them? I'm going to present as a counterpoint to this the Hermitcraft Season 8 World Seed. Because the way they've structured this season of Hermitcraft was they found a seed which had a large central continent around which there was an interconnected ocean. And that allows them to trim out all of the landscape beyond that so that when 1.18 arrives they can just edit the, the, the single continent into the the 1.18 world and then they'll end up with you know new landscape spawning all around it and so it'll feel more natural that way i look at the map for this world seed and i think that's definitely enough interconnected ocean for me maybe it, it is more visible that there are so many of these little dotted islands around the place but realistically speaking this is an entire world that looks navigable by ocean up to you know tens of thousands of blocks i don't have the, the scale right here in front of me but it, it is you know a a long distance i think the the map that i will uh share with our discord group here is about ten thousand blocks across um and so you're looking at it and there is more than enough connected landmass there and there is more than enough connected ocean around it seeds like this are still possible in minecraft it just takes a bit more searching and i don't know if this is something that mojang can improve by 
maybe making a slightly more official seed viewer tool accessible. And it's something that the community has done already, so maybe it's something Mojang feels like they don't need to. But maybe with the newer generation, it might be some. It might be time to to revise that, or time for everybody who makes seed overviewers to you know adapt to. I really think that when you're looking at a world like this, I, I can't imagine looking at that and thinking, I need more interconnected oceans. <laughs> I think it's I think it's done enough. And it's it's just a matter of finding the right seed for you, really. The the fact that the world is capable of so much and, and you know, different seeds are gonna produce, you know, billions of different iterations is grounds to say that I, I don't think anything is impossible necessarily when it comes to this kind of generation if you want to have an, a seed with a ton of interconnected oceans you've got it you just have to go looking for one in the first place and if you want to experience something and test something out for yourself uh get a data pack or find a way to increase the water level in the world to 70 <laughs> instead yeah. of 63 yeah, we did that uh, on um, and... Decidedly Vanilla Season 4. We had some custom world parameters that raised the sea level, and that made yep. most of the server accessible by boats just by, you know, bringing that up a couple of notches. It was... A bit of the land was also raised to make more interesting mountains as a result, but, um, yeah, that was a while ago. We were doing that with the custom world settings back in 1.12, I want to say, and, yeah, that that's that's entirely a possibility with data packs. But I think that's probably where we're going to wrap up with this episode of The Spawn Chunks, folks. Thank you so much for listening. You can find more information about the show and links to some of the stuff that we've talked about today at thespawnchunks.com. The music for the show is composed by me, and The Spawn Chunks is proud to be a listener-supported podcast. If you're getting some value out of the show, please consider putting some value back in at patreon.com slash thespawnchunks. Pledging at any level there gets you an invite to our patrons-only Discord chat where you can join our wonderful community, and it gets us closer to our next milestone goal of a monthly mind craft audio hangout which we are surprisingly close to because this week we have reached 277 patrons up 13 from last week so thank you to all 13 of you unlucky for some very lucky for us thank you so much for your support this week special thanks go out to our content engineers general pattern 82 hunter 555 jumbo sale magma cube dude and yitz thank you for your support on this episode yeah, welcome on in, everyone. And if you haven't already, please say hi. It's one of the nicest places on the internet. I think you will enjoy your time. Spreading the word and sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. Just find us on Twitter and Instagram, at The Spawn Chunks. Retweet that, share that, or just do a personal recommendation. Poke a friend in the arm with a really long stick and say, hey, you should listen to The Spawn Chunks. And to do that, you can find it on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. You can email the show at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. Please use that email address. We don't check any others. The RSS feed is linked on thespawnchunks.com, and the patron-only RSS feed is on the Patreon page. That's where you can listen to The Render Distance, the extended version of the podcast. My name is Johnny, but online I go by Pixelriffs. You can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash where I attempt to make sense of this crazy and wonderful game in a variety of series, Empires, SMP, RTX Survival, and the Hardcore Survival Guide. I also stream three days a week on Twitch, doing behind-the-scenes work for some or all of these series, and I'm the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which you can find through a quick YouTube search. Aside from that, I'm at Pixelriffs on both Twitter and Instagram. Joel, where can people find you online? 
Everything I am doing online, including my illustration and design portfolio, is at joelduggan.com. You can listen to The Citadel Cafe, my other podcast about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment. This past week, Lou and I talked about the Steam Deck, which he picked up, or at least ordered, uh, as well as Transformers War for Cybertron trilogy on Netflix. And coming up next week, you can bet your butt I'm going to be talking about Hades, as well as What If from Marvel on Disney+. And that is all at thecitadelcafe.com. You can follow me at Joel Duggan on social media and Joel Duggan on Twitch, where I play Minecraft on the Citadel, and I'm branching out into some other games too. Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite, so why are all the monsters in this cave? 